Hello and welcome to another episode of The Deep End, Conversations in the Global Talent Pool. I'm Jeff Dubisky, the Chief Solutions Officer at Workforce Logic, and today with me is a good friend of mine, Bo Ramirez, MAD Data Scientist, uh, TA, Contingent Workforce Leader, and now uh, just a, a, a great guide when it comes to operational metrics and the use of data. Bo, thanks for joining us. It's absolutely my pleasure to be here, Jeff. So, we talked a little bit about this, uh, planning our time together, data, data everywhere and not a decision to make. Uh, you know, there's, it's amazing time last several years. The harvesting of data is amazing. The amount of data out there is incredible. And yet we seem to be stuck. We seem right. to be stuck in trying to make informed decisions. Can you give us an idea? Where should we even begin? You know, I always start with, start with the data you have. And especially in the talent acquisition world, there's so much data we're collecting out of the gate, specifically when we look at ATSs. And there's so many offers out there about how to expand additional tools. I hear a lot about business intelligence tools try to, that organizations try to bring in. And I always start with, just start with the data you have. You're collecting data in your ATS and you're dealing with two sets of data. We always forget the second. The first is what you actually collect, the candidate name, rankings, scores, all sorts of things like that. But there's another piece of data, and that's your timestamp data. Long, um, and I always say a, a long timestamp. So you get your date and time, and that's going to give you information as well because it's going to let you know how you're traveling through that talent acquisition process. So start with that data. Organizations should learn how to pull their data and, and, and just start examining it and seeing what, start with seeing what's there and um, developing um, a taxonomy around it, a data dictionary that we're all making sure that we're all speaking the same language when we say time to fill, when we say submittal, when we say when a candidate is officially hired. And if you start from there, you'll, I think doors automatically start to open up. Oh, that's, that's great. You know, when we do think about the fact that uh, I always thought that some of the most significant sunk cost inside of an operation, especially inside of HR and drilling down into TA is all that rich data candidates, either in the CRM or the ATS that are somehow, somehow won or done. So I appreciate it. So what I heard from you is, is a data governance strategy, right? What do we got? Where do we even start with that? And how do we set it up for a definitional set? And, and I appreciate too, uh, you letting the audience know, it's not about going out and buying a new tool or a new data right. set yet, right? right? So when we think a little bit about that then, and almost sort of teasing out that data. Um, is there a is there an area to start? I mean, one of the things that you really mentioned to me and I thought was good um, was sort of the idea of sorting, of looking right. at the usefulness of data. So where do you begin after you've got your data that at least is is available and you have your taxonomy? You know, one of, one of the um, and part of data governance is understanding how we're sorting our data. And understanding um, the buckets it sits in. And um, one of the languages I hear a lot is, well, it's garbage in and garbage out. And, and data governance takes a, 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 um, takes care of a big part of that. It's, hey, you got a disposition in time. You have to ensure you're following your workflow. Um, but the other part is understanding the buckets it sits in. And I always make the comparison when someone says, um, garbage in, garbage out. And I said, well, all data, uh, you know, if, you, if you're frustrated with it, you're going to call it garbage. But think of it this way. When you when you take your garbage, you put your plastics in one bin and you put your papers in other bins and your glass in other bins. And then what you really know you're going to dispose of, you just, you know, you toss it in the main garbage. And that's, that's how we have to start looking at data. How are we properly putting data in specific bins and capturing it a specific way? I think for um, the world of recruiters, understanding their workflow is critical. 
um, and understanding that you have to put those data sets in those specific bins, your workflow bins. You're capturing um, 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 disposition on, on time and you're capturing them in real time. So that's once you do that, that's a great place to start. And everyone knows now we have the data and we can trust in it. And I, I, often, I, I do often say that that creates data integrity. Now I can trust the data. We've captured it the right way. Sure, and, and data credibility obviously comes into uh, play significantly. I think we only have a, a, a one-time shot a lot of times uh, with Absolutely. credibility of a candidate, or a lot of these processes map very closely, obviously, in the MSP world, how we do supply chain management, and even oper operationally, how we're serving information up. And, and the thoughts around, I guess, maybe being uh, creating a story and a storyboard board versus how do we actually solve business problems? So when we think about some of that almost contextualization, um, what are some of the things that we can solve from talent acquisition or supplier fulfillment data? Yeah, absolutely. I think one of the biggest ones that comes out of the gate is we think of that standard metric, which is the time to fill data, you know, and it's, it's, um, you know, it's from uh, uh, requisition to person and seat is, is the proper term. And, um, and what are the sub components of it, but it's not just about um, capturing the specific components. And, and, you know, we know there is, you know, the biggest feedback I always hear from recruiters that they focus on is I submitted a resume to manager and he, he never got back to me. And that means he owns that. And I, I do share, well, we all, we, all, we all own components of it. I would often use that data set to let me know who's the manager I have to work with in a different way. But it's also um, really bigger things we can look at. When you're looking at time to fill, um, you're looking at it across an organization, you're going to look at things around the lines of um, locations, geographic, expansion, geographic expansions. Where am I fulfilling um, faster, maybe there's a talent source in one area of the country that's um, easier to tap into than another area. And that's going to come, um, that's really going to come from the data you're looking at. So it's, it's, um, it's not just the financials behind it. It's, it's, um, it, you know, I think of the best example, I worked at a company where I was doing call center and we were able to pull data and see where we needed to hire from for surges um, uh, that we needed to fill in this call center because we knew what, what area, what, what geographic location was um, doing more hiring. We were actually able to move a whole section of a contract from Brownsville, Texas to Boise, Idaho, just on the data we were seeing. So that's where it's so critical because we knew we can hire faster in Boise, Idaho than we could in Brownsville, Texas. No, it's a great, solid example. And, and kind of what I drew out of that is that in this case, we're looking for appropriate fulfillment to service your contract. So you're meeting your SLAs or potentially you're ahead of your SLAs. Uh, we're maximizing profit. We're reducing downside of turnover cost. I think oftentimes we miss some of that operational data that, that drives to a PL. Kind of brings me to a loaded question. I'm going to ask it. I'm sure the audience would be incredibly uh, uh, interested in, in hearing some of the answers here. But when I think about business operations and annual growth and profit plan, usually the outcome is I need X heads and there's costs involved. And yet we're missing a tremendous opportunity to use some of the data that you're talking a little bit about. Yeah. How, how could a recruiting leader, uh, a CW supply chain leader, bring forward some of these metrics to be incredibly helpful and insightful towards growth and profit planning? Any thoughts there? Yeah, you know, I, I, when I think of, um, especially in positions where, um, 
uh, fulfillment equals revenue. You know, if you get a person in a seat, you're <laughs> generating revenue for the organization. Uh, and, and I can tell you throughout my career, I think of, I've always say any good recruiting department has a bleed report. What's the money we're losing because we don't have a position filled. And that's, mm. that's um, there's, there's motivation behind it and there can actually be performance metrics attached. But in the past is, um, you know, I, I remember I had a contract at DHS. We had a client who was, um, we were losing billing because he wasn't getting positions in. And what we were able to do is look at data on his um, on his regular fulfillment behaviors in terms of how many resumes it took to look uh, to review before he scheduled an interview, how many interviews he needed before he filled the position. We also looked at attrition data. So we took data from different sources and we were able to see that, well, on average, you're hiring three CMMI professionals within a month. And we were able to come up with the exact formula for how many resumes he needed monthly, how many scheduled interviews he needed monthly, and to ensure that when someone put in a resignation, we already were preparing the next person um, in. And uh, I think the biggest, it's one of the biggest compliments I had um, from this, from any client. He said, I don't need resumes from that department. They just set up the interviews. They know what I want. So, you know, and the best, the net result of that was we never lost time in billing ever again. Um, as a matter of fact, sometimes we got candidates that were um, so ready for the position um, um, and the alignment was in what he was looking for. We were able to um, bring in additional billing. That's great. That's great. And so when I think about that, that's in operations. Now, all of a sudden, you got me thinking a little bit about how wonderful it could be. New office uh, gateway location being opened. Some good research and some good tactical information gives you an idea of when you need to begin that so that you hit that PL operation correctly. If I need to start billing on a June 1st and I've got a backup, it's it's strategy and tactics blended. And I appreciate that comment. So you talked a lot about historical data, giving you an opportunity to look at behaviors, uh, even getting ahead of the fact that they were the credibility was built. So now you could just schedule people. Where, however, might we get tripped up in some unintentional biases, maybe recreating issues throughout that cycle? Um, what are some of the things that we might glean off of data post-hire, let's say, that give us a good opportunity to revisit our candidacies and our candidate pools? Uh, you know, absolutely. I think it's, it's um, when, when I think of that, I think a lot of what makes a good hire, how do we look at a good hire? And um, one thing I've done throughout my uh, career in talent fulfillment is asked to be in alignment with HRS data in terms of performance data mm. and to then to create alignment between what makes a good hire and actually what makes um, 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 a good long-term either employee or contractor, right? So um, I think of a specific client when I worked for an MSP that uh, they wanted to get rid of a metric and it was, it seemed like a really simple metric, right? It's, it's the simple three resumes within 24 hours of approval. And you think, oh, gosh, we're never hitting that metric. What is the issue here? Um, and the client actually gave us permission. They said, eliminate the metric. And I said, well, hold on. Let's, it was put there for a reason. Let's examine it. And I, I met with my data team, and I asked them to pull some data points to me. I said, pull data from the HR system and look at our top performance. Now align that with our fulfillment data. And what are the common behaviors on those top performers? And they were that they came from suppliers within 24 hours of when the requisition was approved. And what that told me is that the best hires were coming from suppliers that had the best um, talent pool, uh, specifically to, with specific positions. So that wasn't the challenge. We, we don't want to dismiss that, that, um, that measure, it brings value. So the next uh, data set I needed was, um, what were the other gaps? And what we were able to find out was in scenarios, I always remember the number 5.6, in scenarios where we released the uh, requisition to under 5.6 uh, suppliers, 
we didn't hit the mark. And the logic behind the from the recruiter was made sense. They thought, well, if we just focus on a smaller number of supplies, we'll get better results. But it, it didn't net us those results. The data told us otherwise. We made a standard rule um, that uh, every requisition had to be open to at least six suppliers. And we never missed up the measure again. It literally went up, up, up till it, it teetered around 97%. So that's where you're combining data from different sources and also um, from, from different business processes to get the outcome you're looking for. Uh, I, I, that's fantastic. And I think about the sometimes uh, losing battle we often have with the hiring community, not to point fingers because they have their valid reasons. I, I get that. <laughs> to be able to use data and say, I realize you want to go to two, but right. history shows us six and we're happy to add the two that you want in there. That That's just, that's great. So one of the things that that uh, that we always have to get to is is data released into the ecosystem can be dangerous mm -hmm. without the contextualization. So we talked about taxonomy. We're talking about the same stuff, hopefully. We talked about some contextualization, storyboards versus key metrics, and, and you gave mm -hmm. us situational use of that. And I love that. When I think about the audiences now, one of the things that, that uh, has continued to sort of not haunt I me, mean, stick in the back of my mind, not only for this, but other things, is having space. You talked about having space to get this right. Can you tell us a little bit about what having space means and what it looks like? Sure, absolutely. And um, that's the best thing I like to talk about. And most, um, um, either an assignment or in jobs I've had, I come in, we're going to bring this next generation of analytics in, and then we get bogged in, down with fix this report, fix this report, fix this report, which is important. But I often talk about, we want, we got, we want to create safe spaces and time where we could just talk about data things we're observing. Um, I've worked with some brilliant data teams in the past, and I always have that day where I walk through the door and someone will walk up to me and say, hey, Bo, I, I was playing around with some data and I noticed this, I noticed that, and, and I tell them, great, let's get that into a small presentation, a couple of slides, and, and it's getting that meeting with our leadership and saying, hey, we noticed something, and we think if we take action on, on, this, uh, on, on, you know, on this data, on this metric, on this behavior even, we might have better outcomes. Um, it's, it's not always easy. It's a challenge. It's, it's really creating with leadership that willingness to you know, put an hour aside, sit down, and say, hey, you know, show me what the data is telling you. But if you can get that time, um, the impact um, uh, to not just performance, but to um, you know, financial metrics can be astounding, really. That, that's great. When I think of, so if I was to recap, what I got <laughs> is getting your audience, audience of one, audience of many together to understand the ask, to mm -hmm. actually visualize what that is and then question it, right? So we're not just, what I think I heard you say is it's not just that we're trying to solve a particular question or a metric, but we want right. to actually double click, right? What is it potentially telling us? What should we tease out of it? And I, and, and I really appreciate that. That's fantastic. So when we think about the audiences, so we've got some having space, we've done some designs. Obviously, there's times we're really trying to push the democratization of data, right? A lot of self-service apps out there, uh, which are great. AI serving up a bunch of stuff, well, that's great as well. But where do, we, where do we get tripped up when we talk about maybe unfettered access and or at least layered access to data? What are some of the cautions that people should think about? You know, you, you want to think the role you're having and what the data is um, supposed to do for you. I, you know, I, I think from the lines of um, recruitment, and I talked about this briefly earlier, you know, recruit, recruiters want to look at data from a fulfillment perspective. How is it going to optimize my job in getting the best candidate in the best role? 
and not focusing on, uh, and, I, and again, I, I hate to harp on it. It's, it's my pet peeve of, I submitted the resume. I didn't get anything you know, back from the manager. Use that data to, maybe there's something you'll notice in it. Maybe when you submit on a certain day, you don't get as much as a response. Those are data points um, I always look at. When I was a recruiter, my job was to get the position filled. I ultimately owned it. But then as you go through the organization, thinking about that, your directors, your managers, they're going to want to see data that's going to um, help them with process improvements, um, optimizing outputs that are going to help better commun communicate to other departments the importance behind following processes. And when you get to senior leadership, they're going to want to see a different um, data set as well. And all data on hand could be dangerous for, um, 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 because of that. And what I often say is if you have a reporting team, if you have a reporting and analytics team, lean into the analytics part. Get that uh, analytics person in the room. Let us talk. We're going to help you see the data you need to see, and we're all going to let. We're also going to let you know why the data you've been looking at for years may actually not be what you need. Um, you know, for your specific business or operation goals. Oh, fabulous, fabulous. So when we think about then, sort of the the serving up of self service reporting um, yes. versus, quite honestly, some of the more customized uh, inquiries and how we might get there. Um, what are some of the questions that are important to ask about the audience or maybe the intended use so that we get it right? Because again, even if we, are, we all agree on what we're talking about, going back to the governance and the taxonomy, um, we might understand perhaps that our audience is not the ultimate audience. So what, what are some of the things during that having space rather than data and visualization? Are you asking about what it's gonna be used for and where it's going? You know, a, a large part of it is sometimes what the specific output is um, that they're looking for in, in leadership. I remember um, uh, going back to the days working in government, uh, you know, where there's a lot of contracts passing hands and a lot of um, talent passing hands, you know, where we think it, we're looking for data that's um, uh, specific to a particular project when we met with leadership and you found out, well, we, they're looking for data that talks about um, a specific talent pool being able to transfer across uh, different parts of the organization, mm. you know, and um, that's why those conversations are so important. Uh, but, you know, we have to drive them. You have to, and we have to be the ones to drive it because there's a lot of assuming in data. Well, if I just get this particular data is going to give me the output I need. Um, I think of so many examples where, um, you know, especially, um, uh, you know, when you're working in an organization like an MSP, where you can move your talent, not only across projects, but across clients. Right. That um, streamlining that data, getting, getting, getting all the data to speak the same language. Uh, you know, the best role you can have is um, in an MSP program, in a staffing organization, in an RPO, is being able to bring your talent and keep them employed and bring them across different clients. And also um, making sure you're letting leadership know that as well, because then they're, they're able to continue to bill for that talent as well. Absolutely. And, and, and I know you, you in a previous life had built out the scorecards, the SLAs and the metrics to measure that supply chain. And sometimes these, gets in, these get incredibly complex. Right. Um, what, you know, what, where do you decide, how do you decide or how do you help to influence the decision? Sorry, there's a lot there um, mm -hmm. around what's the right number? You know, I mean, right. we can get into analysis paralysis. We hear that all the time. Um, but is there a right number of metrics to regularly have in action or or is it just whatever anybody wants? You know, I, I often say when I'm starting in an organization that's ground up on a, on a supplier scorecard, you know, let's let's try something. Right? And let's just start with some of the metrics that are right there out of box. 
you know, and start working with those and then see what's driving, um, you know, what is driving the best operation, what is driving um, the optimization of, of the program. Um, also, are you getting a value out of those metrics? So when you have those supply scorecard reviews, um, one of the things I implement and I push very difficult, very, very difficultly at times, um, the car scorecards become punitive and we don't want them to be punitive. It's not about just blaming the supplier you didn't hit this metric. It's let's let's look at why. And I, I think of an easy as an example on time cards, um, employees clocking in or contractors clocking in on time. We develop deep dive scorecards. So if you click on a field metric, you'll actually get another dashboard, a, a, a complete new dashboard that'll tell you where those failures are coming from. And in one particular client's case, it was one small group of um, contractors that were required to go to another department on, on Monday and Wednesday mornings. And we knew if we made some adjustments, we were able to um, fix that measure. So now that we knew that that's how we can fix it, we were able to optimize um, that score. And then as you go through each quarter, you start to realize and you get feedback from the clients, you get feedback from suppliers. Hey, let's try this other metric. This might be another metric that's going to help optimize the program a bit more. So it's 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 that cycle you have to stay in. No, that's fantastic. And 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 what I love about our conversation so far is there's been a balanced approach. We've talked about we didn't point the the finger at hiring managers. We talked a little bit about what they might be up against and how we help solve for that. We know that there's issues that TA. Uh, professionals run into and there's a way to solve for that and you just talked to me which I love about not being punitive or the goal being punitive on the on the scorecards um, what about the balance so if, if I'm an internal CW leader or I'm an MSP um, what about being the voice of the supply chain as well so where where does the balance of that scorecard come in and and, and how do you utilize that well you know, I, I remember um, in, in one particular case, there was a, a hiring manager and it was actually a department head who wanted to bring in specific suppliers. He had their, his individual relationship with them. And I was able to, to, to bring data in from the scorecards and show, hey, I, I know they want to expand, but they want to expand here in, in areas that they underperform in. And it's completely relationship based, but this area they're really strong at, and there's a there's a fulfillment need over here. The, I remember specifically the roles weren't exact map map, but it was in technology um, security, and I thought you know this looks like a space that they might be able to perform in, and creating that um, um, you know balance of understanding of like you know you you. You, I understand you want to work with a specific supplier. You want to, you know, um, um, you want to broaden their um, um, reach within the organization. But let's do it in a way that's effective. So we're not just throwing business at them and creating a situation where they are going to end up underperforming. And not only that, what I loved about it, and I remember he said this, this to me, he said, you now made this audit compliance. So it wasn't just a relationship that he expanded. We were able to show, no, 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 I'm, I'm doing this because the data saying we should do it. So um, it was... It was, yeah, it was sort of the cherry on top of it. So, yeah, that's fantastic. That's and 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 and, and we we know it's it is about relationships. It's about understanding right. my department, right. my needs, uh, and right. and sometimes pro, supplier proliferation is a good thing, and sometimes supplier reductions are also a good thing. But I, I I love the fact that if we can make it based on the data that we have and empower both sides to work well on the scorecard, uh, it's fantastic. I appreciate that. Well, this has been great, Bo. Any any final thoughts, a word or words of wisdom that you might encourage people? As again, we look at data, data everywhere, and not a decision made. Um, absolutely. The one thing in the world I live in is create, continue to create those safe spaces to talk. And I also say bring the recruiting teams into that as well. I think it's very important that they understand. Um, 
the data they're looking at, understand um, the governance of that data, their co-owners of that data. Um, and um, it's the same thing with leadership as well. We gotta create those safe spaces where we can walk in the room and, and bring our expertise to the table, maybe point out something that has not only been overlooked, but sometimes overlooked a long time because we tend to get comfortable with specific data sets. There's a lot of data. Um, the final thing, and I'm gonna add on top is try something. Put a PDS cycle, a PDSA cycle in place and say, hey, we're gonna try this new behavior based on the data set an end time for it. We're going to check it in three months, six months and measure it for effectiveness. If it works, great. Now you can expand it. If it doesn't, you can, you, you, you know, you can move that process out and move something else in, but try it. That's the biggest thing. The data is telling you to do something, you know, put a, put a, um, a process in place where you can risk it. So that's great. That's great. So a recap, we have the data, do something with it, <laughs> uh, get it out there, pulse it for a while, learn from it, be willing to adjust agilely and uh, and use it operationally in balance. Right. Both exactly. been a great conversation in the deep end of the uh, global talent pool. Thank you so much for your time today. To our audience, we hope you took away something that you can begin working on right now uh, as you end, and we will see you next time in the deep end. Great. Thank you.